This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, hello, and welcome to the Late Late Show. My name is Catherine Taylor. My special guest today is Barry Madjay, and we'll be discussing the challenges and possibilities for secondary science education. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening. I'm Catherine Taylor and welcome to The Late Late Show. I'm speaking to you live from Buckinghamshire in the UK. And on tonight's show, I'm going to be speaking to Barry Madjay. He's the leader for physics um, in a secondary school in Buckinghamshire. I'll be talking to Barry about a number of things, including his experiences of uh, teaching physics um, in secondary education, but also about teaching the other sciences because science teachers are, are one of those teachers who have to teach um, across disciplines and I'm hoping that we have, have a really good conversation around that too. So um, Barry has also had a keen interest in educational technology and uh, hopefully he'll be able to share some of his uh, insights and uh, some of the things he's tried and found successful in his practice as well. Remember, if you're listening in live and you'd like to join us um, to either ask a question in the chat or to call in, please remember to download the Podbean app. Visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the homepage, and this will take you directly to the show. There you can post comments and ask questions during our conversation. Once I've spoken to Barry, I'll open up for any of you who want to call in. You can call in by pressing the icon at the top of the screen on your phone app and click this and I'll be able to connect you. I'll be talking to Barry right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready to go, wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www happyconfident.com This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News Sats have made the news again as many media outlets report on allegations that children were distraught after the reading paper the BBC website reports that parents and teachers of Year 6 pupils said the paper was difficult and that it had left some pupils in tears. In response to concerns, the Department for Education said it worked to ensure that all tests are appropriate. Whilst some parents took to social media to highlight concerns, a few also acknowledged that the tests might be good in a way to have some kind of tests before GCSE but the schools in general are under too much pressure to perform well. Copies of the test paper cannot be published until all pupils in Year 6 have had the chance to take it. 
Sarah Hannafin, Head of Policy for the National Association of Head Teachers, said the union was very concerned about the paper and it would be raising concerns with the Standards and Testing Agency. In Scotland, Edinburgh University students have criticised the institution's response to a marking boycott. According to BBC News, students fear their work will not be read as the university plans to continue awarding degrees without necessary expertise to cope with the UK-wide industrial action. The marking boycott is part of the latest phase of industrial action by members of the university and college union at 145 institutions across the UK. Union members are refusing to undertake marking duties and assessment-related work. In response, universities are considering a number of measures, including changing marking guidelines and basing final grades on work already submitted. Many students have expressed sympathy towards staff, but also frustration that industrial action has had little impact on anyone but students, as universities have not reopened negotiations. The University of Edinburgh said it has robust measures in place to reduce the impact of industrial action and that work, including dissertations, would be read. Schools Week comment on teacher burnout after a report from Wellbeing Service Education Support shows a quarter of leaders, teachers and support staff said additional responsibilities were adding an, on average four to six hours to their working week. 15% of staff said they were spending an extra seven to 10 hours supporting pupils. The collapse in support services feeding into schools, including creaking mental health support and overwhelmed SEND services has left schools and their staff struggling to cope. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of School Leaders Union ASCOL, said schools had become the de facto and unofficial branch of social and healthcare services, but that a lack of training, resources or capacity was putting staff under considerable workload stress. The most common additional responsibilities included offering pupils and colleagues emotional support and dealing with difficult pupil behaviour. More than one quarter of staff surveyed said they had prepared food for pupils who didn't have any and 41% said they had purchased supplies such as pens, paper and school bags. In the same YouGov survey, two thirds of school staff said public bodies such as CAMS and social services had been unable to offer pupils support. Further details of the findings can be found on the Schools Week website. The Guardian reported on a proposal to recruit school leavers into healthcare service apprenticeships, which would allow tens of thousands of doctors and nurses to train on the job. The NHS workforce plan could see up to one in 10 doctors and one third of student nurses trained through this vocational path in coming years. The alternative route would circumvent the standard undergraduate or graduate route. The plans have been met with criticism by unions, but Amanda Pritchard, Chief Executive of NHS England, has been speaking to pupils at a North East Comprehensive School, where she encouraged pupils to earn while they learn, and highlighted the 350 different roles available within the NHS. Finally, in Wales, the BBC reports that the increasing cost of food means school caterers are struggling to deliver on the Welsh Government plan for universal free school meals. The unit price was set with an assumption about possible cost increases, but Education Minister Jeremy Miles said the world has obviously moved on and a further review was needed. The current rate of around £2.90 per child in a primary school is being described as no longer viable 
as price increases of 20% on items like milk, cheese, fruit and vegetables take their toll. The Universal Free School Meals Plan is being rolled out in phases to all primary schools, although a target for every child in reception year one and year two to be offered a free school meal by April has been missed. The policy has been welcomed, but challenges needed to be acknowledged. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I've been searching for crazy technology. The tech I found ranges from rather funny to actually quite useful. Let's see if I can blow your mind. Everyone has probably used Google Translate at some point, even if it's just to translate a word into another language and back again to see if it changes. Well, the Google Pixel earbuds paired with the Pixel phone allow you to switch on conversation mode. Now what is being said to you in a foreign language is translated into your earbuds in real time. What you say is translated and projected via your phone. You do need an Android 6.0 or higher to do this, but this has potential to be a game changer for communicating not only when travelling, but in hospitality too. Next up is a quirkier invention, Smarty Pans. There aren't many things you can't connect to an app, and the frying pan is now joining the club. The Smarty Pan has a built-in scale to weigh your food as you add it to the pan, a handle that tells you when the pan is at temperature, and the app guides you through how to cook a meal you're preparing. Also, the nutritional content of your meal is calculated by the app. There's no advertised price for this pan yet, but keep your eyes peeled. It replaces a cookbook, reading the nutrition on a packet, and your kitchen scales, as long as you fry everything. My final crazy technology is the Hush Me. This is an invention for those concerned about being overheard by others when talking on their phone or other connected devices. It works by muffling your voice so others can't hear you, keeping private conversations private. Genius, I hear you say. I need one so I can work during my commute. Before you break out the credit card, it is a rather chunky device you wrap around your whole head. I'd describe it as a pair of large headphones that connect to a cup to cover your mouth. At just over £180 and making you look like Darth Vader, you may want to do a bit of research first. Do you know of any crazy tech? Do you own any? As always, why not get in touch at TT Radio Official? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hi, welcome back, um, everyone, and welcome especially to my guest, um, Barry. How are you today, Barry? Are you there? Hi, Catherine. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I uh, managed to log on and everything, so um, looking forward to this. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, well, Barry, welcome to the show. And uh, you are subject leader for physics um, in a secondary um, grammar school, aren't you, in Buckinghamshire? Could yep. you just tell me a little bit about your typical day or your typical week in your current role? Uh, I mean, probably most of my time is obviously taking up um, teaching um, physics lessons. Um, I'm predominantly physics. Um, I teach um key stage three biology and chemistry as well but um up to a level i do the physics subjects apart from teaching lessons it's kind of overlooking the curriculum offering support to other physics teachers as well um it's probably the majority of it as well as um all the other kind of um parts of the teaching that that are involved in kind of the admin side of stuff checking your emails twice a day mm-hmm so when it comes to curriculum design, um, presumably there's a, quite a lot of input from the national curriculum and things that have to be followed. Um, when it comes to, you said you're obviously taking a lot of time in your in your physics because that's your main um, main discipline. 
But I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about how the conversations go when you're thinking about the curriculum input for the multidisciplinary aspect. Is that something you have, have much of a say in or would you say you're very much delivering content that others have, uh, other specialists have prepared? Um, I think as a department, everybody gets um, their input. I mean, there's, you know, there's a specification that we have to make sure we teach you know, all the, the parts, you know, predominantly talking about uh, the GCC and the A-level. We do have flexibility in the order that we teach things. And I think in science, we have like a spiral curriculum. So mm-hmm. stuff that teachers or that you know, students study in years seven and eight kind of gets restudied at GCSE and then in, in A-level. So um, there's kind of a lot of overlap with it every year and it kind of builds on the subject, on the student's knowledge. Um, but we do as a department kind of discuss where we're going to fit things in, in, in like the teaching schedules so, so that students are um, kind of like building on their knowledge in the best way, best way possible. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's really brilliant. Thank you. I mean, have you always, obviously your degree was in physics, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Physics with space technology. Oh wow! What drew you to that? I mean, that's fascinating. What? Tell me a bit about your interest in um, in the space technology side. Honestly, um, I think when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be an astronaut, and uh, <laughs> who I, doesn't, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I thought uh, studying physics with space technology was a, a good way to become an astronaut. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've just always I don't know don't know why. Um, Ever since I don't know, being as early as I can, always enjoyed physics and just found um, I was it was probably my strongest subject at school. Um, and actually, to talk about like the the influence of um, teachers, mm-hmm. I remember it was a, a parents' evening, and I uh, really kind of admired uh, my science teacher or my physics teacher actually. And I remember at the parents' evening, he said to my parents, um, "Barry's probably one of the best physicists I've ever had the pleasure of teaching." And uh, oh, wow. I think from, from from that moment forward, uh, yeah, it was uh, physics, um, just physics. from from that small comment, yeah. Oh, that's really brilliant. I mean, tell me a bit about you know when you became a teacher and you did your did you do PGCE or another routine? Um, I did a graduate teacher program, okay. so yeah, I was completely school based, um, and I kind of after graduating from university. Um, I did a very a whole host of different jobs. One of them I worked for PGL mm-hmm. in France, and absolutely loved it. And that was kind of the first inkling I had of well, actually maybe I should consider teaching. And I went to a local school to find out more about the teacher training, kind of get into teaching program. And okay. um, I remember I, I kind of went went to find out some more information and uh, as soon as they found out I was interested in teaching physics it was kind of uh, you couldn't job done sold yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, they, they they wanted me to start and t- start teaching physics and I wanted to start teaching physics as well so yeah I got onto the graduate teacher training program and um, yeah never looked back Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you and and when you were when you were doing that did you um, teach across other scientific disciplines as well what was your um what was your sort of induction into sort of teaching in, um, in the sciences? I, I really have predominantly been 
um, physics because my my training was in uh, a grammar school. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of teach physics from yeah year nine onwards. And then there's always been a little bit at Key Stage 3 where I had to teach the other science disciplines. Um, I've taught in another school where I had to teach um, chemistry and biology as well. I definitely find uh, more comfortable in, you know, in my specialist and um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just obviously be, being in a grammar school, I generally teach within my specialism. Yeah, no, that that's really interesting because I mean, some of the conversations I've had with other science teachers is that people find it's quite a challenging one to get into because obviously there's such a shortage of um, science trained professionals. And one of the things that people worry about is that they end up teaching outside of their discipline. So, yeah. I mean, it, you, you sound like you've been really, really fortunate in that you have been able to stick very much into your discipline. But I wonder if you could, um, if, you, if you're willing to, just tell us a little bit about um, either an experience that you yourself have had or a trainee perhaps that you've worked with where you felt that, you know, that was a real challenge um, and putting people very much outside their comfort zone. I wonder what your thoughts are around that. Oh, I mean, it, it's... You know, when I have done it, it's, it's definitely challenging. I mean, the the biggest challenge outside of my dis- discipline is kind of being able to to stretch the students because um, naturally when you're teaching science, you know, hopefully, um, and generally I do find the kids are you know, curious about the world around them. Mm. Um, so they're always asking questions. Now, if they ask me a, a question about you know, a physics subject, you know, I can pretty much offer... Uh, uh, a sound explanation to, you know to their to their question um but when i've been teaching outside my specialism it's kind of you know you know what's on the specification you know what you you have to teach but then if, if students kind of throw questions at you um that you're not as well prepared for um you know you're less well equipped to deal with it then brilliant yeah no it's it's um it's that confidence isn't it i wonder yeah. barry um we're losing the quality of your sound a little bit are you um close to your router at home i wonder if you are able to go a bit closer to it please um i can try Hold on. okay i'm closer to it now hopefully that will that'll okay. clean that up <laughs> a little bit um, yeah, no, it's it's not been too bad at all, but there was there was so slight um, intermittent dropouts there. So uh, okay. thank thank you for that. Um, no, it's it's such a fascinating area because I've definitely um, you know as I say, there's been trainees who come in, and I think that's one of the um, one of the big challenges, isn't it? That they feel that you know when you're when you're just starting out as a teacher and you perhaps you know, are being told don't smile till Christmas or perhaps you're being told that you really need to make sure that you, um, you know, don't show any fear and the, the, the kids can can smell it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and if you're already feeling that kind of insecurity because you, you're, you haven't quite mastered your craft and then you add in the extra burden of perhaps not feeling very confident in a particular discipline, it's... Um, you know, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think even even um, teaching in in your discipline, you still get students throwing qu- you know, questions that you've never even thought of. Um, 
yeah, they'll, they'll throw them at you, especially kind of lower down in the school, actually. Kind of, then they'll really, their, their imaginations kind of have all kinds of questions they want to ask. And sometimes I'm picking what they're trying to answer still kind of tests you. Um, yeah. So I'm going to regret of, this you know, question. I'm going to regret this, but I wonder if you could, what's, what would you say in an explanation that at that um, non-physicists can, can understand, what would you say is the question that's really just stopped you in your tracks? Oh, I, I, honestly, I couldn't remember off the, off the top of my head. I, it's, I, I just remember there was, there was a few in my year seven class and it, it was just, it was just something like, I don't know, something like what would happen if, uh, the 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 sky was infinite and the I don't know the ships never disappeared over the horizon or some it was just the yeah. most crazy random thing and I I I didn't know how to answer it I just had to try and work out what they were asking yeah um, yeah completely ra random things <laughs> no the the uh, the imagination and questions of yeah. um, children defy uh, <laughs> defy imagination don't they sometimes yeah because because then 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 you say then you say but but that question it doesn't make sense that's not possible mm. but they're just like but what if it was possible I just mean just what if if hypothetically <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know so the kind of answering those kind of questions uh, is quite difficult but because because I, I get this because I teach philosophy and one of the top one of the modules that I teach to year 10 is the philosophy of science yeah and we spend quite a lot of time with me saying right you know tell me about big bang hypothesis tell me about theory of evolution whatever it is that you know trying to get them to really explore you know the language of it and you know I say well you know what's what's wrong with this question what happened before the big bang and they're going mm. <laughs> you know and and trying to like really unpick about the the absurdity of the suggestion that oh, sorry that, you just dropped out then Oh yeah, sorry. The absurdity of the suggestion that if you're making a claim about time and space having to come into existence, that there would have been any sensible way the word "before" could have been used, and then they're going, "Oh, stop it, Miss! Our brains are hurting." Um, so you you do get that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I do really enjoy teaching um, about the Big Bang. Actually, it's probably one of my favorite favorite topics to teach about. Um, but I'm quite um open with you know with the students i kind of say right this is the limit of my kind of understanding as a human being mm -hmm. um you know we don't have the answers to everything this is the evidence that we have and these are the models that we have to kind of explain our observations um and kind of and, i kind of do go on sorry i was gonna say how do students respond because i think there's i don't know if i can go so far as to say I think yeah. sometimes our students can be um, tempted just to say that science has got all the answers the end and when they start to dig in and you start start to explain that actually there are limits to what is possible within science and you know that it's a continuous process and, and things like that do how do how do you sort of have those conversations in class um, I kind of, in in some sense, I kind of can preempt their questions. I mean, like the 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 one people always ask is kind of obviously what was there before the Big Bang, um, mm -hmm. and they always ask what's outside, you know, what's at the edge of the universe. So when when I kind of start the lessons, I kind of 
say to them, you know, we don't have answers to these questions, but I say kind of my brain can understand it a bit easier if I talk about the observable universe. Mm. And I explain to them what we mean by the observable universe. And it kind of, it just makes it a bit easier for our human brains to comprehend that, I think. Um, yeah. And the students feel a bit more comfortable with, right, okay, so we're talking about the observable universe. Um, you know, and uh, then that makes it a bit more comfortable, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the use of language is something I personally find really fascinating and, and I could go on about it, but I'm not going to. You're going to be glad to hear. But um, <laughs> it's it's really interesting in trying to frame their sort of ideas about what like what science is and what the limits of science it are and, and that kind of things. And, uh, you know, really talking to them about sort of the philosophy of it is, is fascinating um yeah. I was really interested you you were talking earlier about your wish to be an astronaut um have you have you visited any space centers or anything like that I don't know um no if... I, so I haven't I, I would I would love to um I mean I'll just go go back to that story I, I'll never I'll never forget that because I said about the um the uh, influence that teacher had on me um mm. when he said oh you know one of the best visits I've ever had the pleasure of teaching but on the same kind of note I remember um we had a uh, careers kind of uh day at school mm. and you had to fill in the paperwork saying what you'd like to be when you're older and uh, I, I actually put astronaut on it mm. and um the their careers advisor came came and got me out of a lesson once and said right you know I've got your paperwork here can, can you take this seriously you know you've put astronaut on there take this seriously and I was like, oh, I'm being serious. I want to be an astronaut. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, I, it's something I wanted to do as a kid. It's not yeah. something I've ever wanted to do as an adult after studying space and uh, kind of what it does to your body. And um, yeah, I think I, I'd probably pass on that. I think I'd struggle enough um, experiencing freefall by jumping out of an aeroplane, let alone being an astronaut. I mean, I've done that. It's a weird feeling. I did that many years ago. And you kind of, you, you kind of just, you don't feel like you're falling. You just feel like you're kind of in the sky and it's noisy. And then when the parachute opens, you kind of feel like you go up. It's very yeah. odd. It's very odd sensation. And it's like really abstract. I mean, why would anybody jump out of a perfectly good aeroplane? Um, you know, it's it's a it's a very existential thing to do. But that, that's yeah. really interesting. I visited NASA years and years ago um, when and I went uh, and I got a, a, like a tour around um, in Dallas. Uh, sort of Houston, obviously. Um, and uh, they had all the. the like the modules and stuff like that, the International Space Station. And it was all in this like really massive like um, um, swimming pool, like yeah. Olympic sized swimming pool, but really right much deeper as well. And all the astronauts were in there, and they were all like swimming around inside this submerged um, pod to practice going in and out of through all of the hatches and stuff like that. It was really interesting. You should, if you ever get the chance, it's well worth going to have a look at some of these places. I'd, I'd probably feel uh, quite jealous seeing the astronauts actually training. <laughs> I, mean, I <laughs> no, want to do that. <laughs> and and do you know what else I did? I went into the room, you know, where they that they uh, the director's chair where they had Houston. We have a problem, and you can go and see that. It's like a museum archive, and a half of Mission Control is like kept as a museum, and the other half is um, like the modern Mission Control that looks like yeah. you know, the one you see in the film. It's really really interesting. Anyway, yeah. we have. 
come, you've brought you on here to talk about you, not to listen to me and my holiday <laughs> recollections. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, so I just I thought the next thing we could talk about a little bit because um, you know it's, it's so interesting talking about education in general, but of course all of this wonderful physics knowledge has to come across in a in a sort of pedagogical way doesn't it for the students I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how teaching and learning goes in in physics and obviously you have the extra excitement of the experiments and the risks that go with those I wonder if you could talk us through um, any memorable practicals you've done and the kind of issues that arise around practicals in sciences Um, Joe I think the students always enjoy practicals um i think they have to be done carefully um in in science there's there's required practicals that students have to do probably i'd say the 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 best practice for practicals is to to get the most out of it um and you know talking to students they generally agree with this as well is to do the theory first um then get the students to plan the practicals themselves and then they do the practical the trouble is, is obviously that takes a lot of time if they're planning the practicals and they can, you know, they come up with their own individual plans, which makes it harder to manage. Um, but they get more out of it doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can be, you know, tempting because of time constraints sometimes to kind of say, like, for example, we're doing uh, Newton's second law today. We're doing F equals MA. Um, here's, a, here's a practical and the students get on with it. You know, you put them in groups or they choose their own groups, however you decide to manage it. Um, and then you know, if they haven't planned it and you haven't, yeah, they haven't thought about it, you can probably end up in a situation where they're kind of blindly following some instructions and not fully understanding or comprehend, you know, comprehending what, what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, in, ter- in terms of, you know, in enjoyment, I find they, they like the, the more open-ended ones, so like you know, like I say, the ones they can plan. Um, and I remember giving some year thirteens. We was doing circular motion, and I gave them a um, like a hot was it hot rods car kit? Okay, is that what they're called? Hot wheels. Uh, hot wheels. That's the one. Hot oh, wheels. Oh, I've got so many hot wheels. I've, I've got yeah, we've got a lot of hot wheels in this house. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, yeah yeah. I you know I like I like playing around with toys and you know you, you can use them you know, to talk about physics and energy and all sorts of things. And I said to the year thirteens, right, we've got this Hot Wheels um, track. You've got one car that's like you pull it back, it's spring loaded, so it stores its elastic potential energy, and you let it go and it goes forward. I would like you to calculate the the largest vertical loop that this car could do. Um, and once you've calculated it, you can build it out of the the track and see if it works. Um, and that that was literally the task I set them and they just all kind of just knuckled down tried to do out that come up with their theories and do their calculations um, and then they were all trying to build this build build a loop and see if their car were going around and you know they were just so engaged but mm. it was they put the, the what I think what they got out of that the most was actually probably the enthusiasm and the kind of the open-ended problem solving you know, and, and their own kind of like creativity. Um, and it actually kind of, they were more focused on the theory, trying to calculate the size of the loop than they were actually, you know, initially, you know, 
yeah, they didn't all like dive in and just start to try and build build a, a loop the loop as quick as they can. Mm. Um, they just they all wanted to work it out first, which was you know really really good. No, that's that's really brilliant. Thank you. Um, so another thing that that I I know about you, Barry, is that you do enjoy your technology. Um, yeah. could you tell me a little bit about how you use technology first in your teaching and learning? Um, yeah. So I mean, it's, I I am surprised or not surprised, kind of almost shocked that I didn't start using it earlier mm. because earlier in my teaching career. I had been told about you know, certain um, websites that you know you can use to teach physics, and you, know, you can set students' assignments on them. Um, and I kind of, you know, at that point when I was being told about it, I was I just did what I always did, and I was like, oh, that's fine. I'll look at it one day. I'll carry on doing what I've always done, and I'll use textbooks and you know taking the books and mark their textbook answers. And I did that for for years and years and years, and then. Um, the pandemic happened mm. and everything went online and I thought well I better start looking at these like online resources that I was told about um, and it literally changed my teaching um, just the, the benefits of it were, were, were so good um, can you I've, give me an example of something that you've really used um, you know on your teaching and learning side yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know uh, my head of science is probably listening, so I say hi. But he, I go on about this all the time. Isaac Physics. It's kind of a, a, a joke. I'm always Isaac Physics, Isaac Physics. Um, it's it's a fantastic website. You you can set students' problems on it, um, and some of them are, are really quite challenging. Doesn't tell you the correct answer. Um, it just tells you if you get it, well, you know, it tells you if you get it right or, or wrong and it gives you gives the students feedback if they get it wrong to kind of mm. nudge them in the right direction. Um, you know, so that's really good at students practicing their math skills. Um, use you know, all of the, the, the kind of like classic ones like you know, Plickers and Kahoot yeah. to get instant feedback. So um, how, how do you manage that? Like, because one of the things that I've been thinking about with teaching and learning as well is that, you know, if you're you know, using something like mini whiteboards or something like that. Um, how do you kind of, because you're kind of giving yourself quite a lot of cognitive load, aren't you, to try and sort of manage all of those answers? How do you find the technology helps with you to kind of to do that um, sort of assessment on the go, as it were, in your lesson? Yeah, so, um, I mean, some, some of those resources are really good because when, when the students, you know, submit their answers, you, you get the reports, you get the feedback straight away of kind of any questions that they have struggled with. Um, they, they pretty much all do that. Uh, so it makes it really easy to kind of have a look at the class in a, in a snapshot and see how they're doing, kind of use mm. it as a hinge question and uh, kind of see what direction you want to move forward with the lesson. Um, and, you know, and you can you can address you can address the questions they get wrong you know, quickly as well. Mm. Um, and I, I also really like to turn it into like a reward system as well. So I generally have this thing that anybody who does, you know, gets 100%, um, you know, I'll, I'll reward them with house points. Um, so it's a really, really useful tool. No, that, that's really brilliant. Thank you. Um, so, what you know, the technology, of course, goes beyond um, just the teaching and learning because, of course, workload is a big issue for teachers, isn't it? So... I mean, without being too specific, yeah. how do you how do you go about using technology to support yourself as a as a practitioner? 
Um, so yeah, as well as using the the, the resources for teaching and learning, um, I also use an online planner, um, mm. and I kind of it it links. So the, the planner I use links with the schemes of work, um, so it kind of really reduces my planning load. Um, mm. uh, kind of like automatically, you know, um, kind of organizes my lessons for me on a weekly basis. Um, you know, it will tell me the lesson titles, objectives, resources that I need. Um, and then it makes it easy to kind of juggle my lessons as well because it's online. Yeah. And I guess that kind of helps you, um, helps you to kind of, you know, plan for any, you know, practicals and things like that as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, because the resources are already, are already populated there from the scheme of work. Um, and I'll tell you what else I find really useful with it. And I know other teachers that use the same planner find really useful is the long-term planning mm. because because your lessons are planned from the scheme of work you can literally move all the way to like the end of term or the end of the year and see roughly where you will be yeah um, so that's really really handy now that that's no it's it's always good because we've as you say since the lockdown it's really accelerated our use of of our um, technology, hasn't it? And, you know, how, how would you say colleagues respond to the use of technology in the classroom in general? Would you say that people are pretty open to it or would you say there's still a bit of resistance? Um, it, it's interesting. I, I think there is resistance and I think it's the same resistance I felt when I was, like I said, like when I was first introduced to online resources and people would tell me how good it was. Um, and I would be, okay, yeah, I'll look at that one day because I've got lots of other things on my to-do list at the moment. Um, and I think I think it's the same. Um, you know, so teachers what, what are busy. do you say to colleagues when, when you feel like, you think when you kind of can sort of see the fear in their eyes, if you like, the kind of the panic that they're so stressed, they've got so many things on, you know, what, what would you say to a colleague who was perhaps wanting to but not really sure where to start or or feeling that it was going to be too much, another extra thing to add into their already very full, um, you know, to-do list? Um, to be honest, I think I think you can show them, um, mm. but then it's kind of up to them if they if they want to use it. Um, you know, I, I've shown people some of these like online planning resources, some, some really, really like it and uh, run with it and, mm -hmm. you know, use it. Other, other people just um, stick to what they know. So, you know, it's entirely a personal choice, whatever yeah. works for the individual. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I just, from my point of view, when I've tried to engage with certain platforms before, and once once you kind of realise that it's revolutionised, you, it's like you don't know what you don't know, and it's yeah, finding yeah. ways to get people to, to give things a try, isn't it? But it's, yeah. it's, it's a scary thing, isn't it, when you're already very time poor and very... Um, very up against it to kind of feel like you've got to stop and learn something new can be quite daunting I think yeah uh, I, I mean totally I mean like I mean the the, the long-term benefits because obviously I've been teaching physics for a while so all my um, schemes of work that I teach are, are well organized so I can literally use an online planner and it will literally plan everything for me you know I'll stick my timetable on there in um, September um, link each class up to a scheme of work and the majority of my, the heavy load of my planning is done. I yeah. just do the tweak. I just have to tweak it as I go through my lessons. Um, so yeah, it makes a huge, yeah. it's all, takes it's, a huge it's, burden off me. 
it's it's all about thinking about what can be automated um in a productive fashion you know because there's a lot of talk at the moment isn't there about people being concerned about ai and and the influence you know and whether all going to be replaced by robots or whatever you know i say that you know obviously flippantly but people people are concerned that you know there's a certain skill that is particular to the human being which is lost when we start to rely on ai but i think you make a really good point there which is to say that there are some menial tasks or sort of the heavy lifting or whatever mm. that if we can automate it then that's that's good and we ought to because that frees us up to be more creative and to be more nuanced in the delivery which you know before we might have had that time taken away with a task that really could be automated yeah i mean that that chat gpt i you know it is amazing what it does um you know the planner that i use does have that integrated into it so it can you know if you if you've got like an a lesson title you know you know it can it integrated into it is the ability to plan a lesson using chat GPT. Um, but it's, it's never like a hundred percent perfect. You know, it will generate a lesson mm -hmm. plan, but you still go, it will tell you like lesson objectives, suggested activities, resources, suggested homework. Um, but I think you still, you couldn't yeah. just do that. You still have to go and tweak it for your class. Exactly. I mean, I've used it to, to write an essay and I just said, OCR, religious studies, you know, whatever topic, 15 marker, two Bible quotes, whatever, and it pops it out. But you, you definitely still need to make it appropriate for your class, don't you? And that's that's where our knowledge of our students really comes in, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that personal personal touch and the, the knowing your students. Yeah. I'm just going to, um, so we've got about uh, sort of 18 minutes, <clears throat> excuse me, left of the show, and I'm just going to um, remind <clears throat> excuse me anyone listening that if you are um able to and you wish to call in then you can um post questions in the chat and uh you can ask questions for myself or for barry to answer if you want just call in and speak to us um you can download the Podbean app and visit ttrradio.org and click listen live on the home page and this will take you directly into the show um and you can post your comments and have a join the conversation with myself and barry so if anybody did want to call in or, or pop a comment in the chat please feel free to do so um, you can call in by pressing the icon at the top of the screen on your phone's app and uh, i'll be able to connect you so uh, please feel free uh, there's my waiting time that's the bit i'm really bad at <laughs> <laughs> and i know i'm doing it as well no that's that's really brilliant um so let's let's think as we sort of have our last sort of 15 minutes or so let's have a think um teaching obviously in in the united kingdom and all around the world is facing particularly in 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 terms of science teachers there's not many not many people applying and there's not many of you and there's been a lot of uh, big bursaries out there and a lot of people perhaps not staying in the profession i wonder Ooh. you know where do you see where do you see think the situation going have you got any thoughts on the on the outlook 
Sorry, it, it just cut out. I didn't quite hear the question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just to say, you know, we know that we've got recruitment and ret- retention crisis, especially in the sciences, but across the board. I wonder what your thoughts are about, you know, the direction of travel. What do you see the profession looking like in sort of, you know, five, ten years time? And, and what are your sort of long term thoughts about, you know, staying in the profession and so forth? Um, I mean, there's a there's a lot to unpick in that, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel, me personally, I'm I'm very fortunate to work in a in a really good school. Um, you know, the the students are fantastic. The staff body is fantastic. You know, it's really supportive um, uh, staff body. Um, so yeah, on a, on a day to day day basis, I I really enjoy my job. Um, I think there's probably a lot of uh, well, I know there's a lot of variation between schools. Yeah, other schools I've worked in, um, it's it's felt very different. And how think, would you say how how would you what would the differences be mainly? Um, I think, I mean, two big two big ones for me are the the behaviour of students and support you get from yeah you know the colleagues. Um, I mean, it's, it's difficult because, you know, here we have a grammar school system. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got selective kids, which I think has an impact as well. Um, but I think if you're if you're new into teaching and I think if you was if you had. Um, I was just thinking like a, a tougher, tougher time in a school, I can I can mm-hmm. imagine um, why that would put people off of teaching and they would consider mm. other careers instead. Um, I was I was reading a post just the other day um, on Twitter. I can't remember who shared it, um, but it was like a, a teacher had shared their experience of their school day. Um, mm. You know, I think that just... might be um, might be Tom's uh, Tom Rogers' post, who's uh, think... who's uh, the. Um... The, the founder of uh, this radio station. Oh, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I was just reading that and I, it, it, the, the post was something like, and people can't believe this is actually real. You know, this happens. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking, man, that does make it sound really tough. Um, but yeah, that's that's completely different from my experience of teaching. Mm. Um, it, I mean, it happens though, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we've all been there. I certainly, when I read that, I could relate to it. And, yeah. I, you know, you just thank you lucky stars that it's not a day-to-day reality but you know I know from colleagues who've gone to work in other schools quite recently have um, told me a few tales that would make your hair stand on end so I think you're right you know it doesn't have to be like that but unfortunately for, for some colleagues it definitely is like that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's telling because m- the most common comment I get when people say, oh, you're a serious teacher is, I could never be a teacher. Mm. You know, oh, but say, the holidays, well, I, Barry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, I, I didn't become a teacher for the holidays. No, um, no, I know. But, yeah, why, why, why is that what, what people say? You know, and that is literally like probably like 80% of the time people say that when you say, oh, I could never be a, never be a teacher. Um, so well you know it's it's um it's it's definitely has its challenges and I think that one of the things I've found um is that if you if you are going to be in a place where it's you got me again hello you hear me now Uh, yep it's breaking up I didn't hear the question again 
Oh, no, I was just I was just saying that, you know, it's it's not quite uh, a dichotomy, but sometimes, you know, if you're dealing with the hardcore behaviour management all the time, then perhaps you find that, you know, that's where your energy goes. And, you know, there's not a great deal of marking and so on, because, you know, not a great deal of tangible work is produced. But then if you have, you know, like students who produce reams and reams and reams of essays or whatever you know it's I think the grass perhaps isn't always greener but it's it's tough whichever way you look at it because ultimately we've got a big responsibility haven't we for trying to you know do the best for the young people whoever they are and I'm sure that you know there's some very high achieving students who have all kinds of anxieties and, and and problems of their own so it's it's I just think we just need to make sure we're you know this is this shout out to everyone in the world of twitter but we just need to be kind to each other don't we because we're all dealing with challenges day to day aren't we yeah yeah i mean yeah i i i think it's you know it's a, a great job um yeah how how Better do we than, than being an astronaut yeah oh, man there's there's no <laughs> risks of radiation being a teacher <laughs> <laughs> um and i don't like heights either so yeah i don't think i'd be a very good astronaut now um <laughs> That's, that's interesting, actually, because I, I found the older I've got and the more I understand about the physical world, because I, you know, I'm not a scientist at all, but I did do, I did as part, I did an open university degree. And so yeah. the first part of my open university degree was um, um, basically natural sciences. So I've got like a HNC in natural sciences and I had to do a physics module for that. And I did have to kind of go and I think we had to grow some seeds some grass seeds that had been exposed to gamma radiation and then see how well they grew and, okay. and all of that kind of stuff um you know and it's it's really interesting but I have found the more that I understood about physics the more I was like you know I like driving on the motorway now that I understand how physics works I definitely don't want to drive in front of a massive lorry <laughs> do you know what I mean do you know I, I do, do you know, I I think I I'm guilty of probably taking my uh, knowledge of physics for granted um and kind of just assuming that it's something everybody understands, like how mm. how things move and you know acceleration, velocity, and forces. And I, I remember like talking to somebody um, about the seasons, and they had no idea why we have seasons in the UK. And I was like, you know, I was just amazed that somebody didn't know that. Mm. Um, but I guess you know, as as a physicist, it's kind of like you know, I take it for granted that you know why we have seasons and yeah, yeah. I I think it's for me anyway. It's just important to understand the universe that we are in mm. and how things kind of work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what would you say is the most terrifying physics fact that really kind of um, give you give you pause and keep you up at night? I don't think there's any physics facts that give that worry me um, and keep me up at night. Um, I mean, I think there's lots of fascinating ones. Um, you know, I always, I always like to repeat to um, classes. I think um, it was one Brian Cox said on one of his programs that um, when you talk about the the atom, that it's mostly empty space, and if you were to take the entire human population and remove all of the empty space from their their atoms 
the entire human population would fit into a sugar cube. I think that's that, like that's crazy. Mind blown, mind blown. It's just, yeah. I mean, I just, I heard a really good quote, uh, as I said earlier, we talk about the Big Bang hypothesis in my philosophy of science lessons. And just the idea that human beings are essentially the universe's way of experiencing itself and then you just oh. go oh that's oh. that's so deep <laughs> I, was, I was i was gonna say that one actually but then, oh, sorry. But, then but then then i i went for the uh the the the, the sugar cube one instead because i was going oh let's just go with the the physics one um instead of the kind of philosophy one because I, I i say that to the students to try and blow their minds a bit because quite often if you kind of google the most um like what's the most amazing fact um and mm. quite often the one comes up that it's uh that all the atoms that made that make us came from inside stars so we are essentially stardust and mm. and then i say to my students actually i don't think that's the most amazing fact i think the most amazing fact that if the universe is all space time and matter then you know we are essentially the universe because we are made up of atoms so we are the universe experiencing itself and I like what you said. I think I think that's just kind of that's crossing over from physics into philosophy. Yeah, but I just think that's just like you say. That's just like mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, I I find it fascinating. As I say, I'm not. I don't claim to be a scientist, but I do find it very interesting. And uh, you know, it's it's you do get to some quite high levels of abstraction, don't you? And I think when I'm talking to students about sort of the the big abstract questions about the big bang hypothesis and, the, and then they start saying to me oh science has proved this science has proved that Hello? Like, sorry yeah, sorry i've gone again i just sort of the, you know the 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 casual use of the word proof by um by year 10 students oh, sorry i do, didn't, didn't hear you again no just talking about the um the the use of the word proof in science and how um okay. how students often tell me all of the things that have been proved by science and you have to say well hypothesis means this theory means that and and uh, really unpick it for them it's quite uh, i mean i love all that kind of stuff because that, that's the philosopher isn't it um yeah okay yeah. We've, no, we've, it's got, great. we've got uh, just a couple of minutes left um so i'm just going to ask you one quick fire question barry if that's okay and that is yeah. if you could change one thing about education what would you change and why one thing about education, uh, if I could, in an ideal world, probably more focused on um, just a, a, a love of learning um, mm -hmm. and enjoyment uh, and not so worried about exams in an ideal world. So do you think that exams actually put undue pressure onto to students? Do, do you think that that is a, a problem for maybe mental health and well-being? Um, I mean, it def definitely has uh, consequences. I think on on well being, yes. Um, do I mean I could I couldn't. Uh, there's some kind of practicality, I guess, in in a competitive world. You know, we kind of do need some kind of way of measuring. Um, do or do we need some way of, of measuring people's I don't know ability? I don't know. Maybe we don't. Uh, maybe that's, there's another oh, that's way. That's a big question. Perhaps that <laughs> needs its own show, that question. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah that got, got me thinking now. Your quick well, fire question. Uh, excellent. My, my work here is done. 
Now that's fantastic. Okay, Barry, it's been so great to have you speak to us this evening. And this is all going to obviously end up on a podcast, which we can share widely um, in the teacher community. And, um, you know, thank you so much for everyone who's listened in as well. I'm just going to play a couple of messages before finishing off. But I just want to say thank you once again to Barry and Madjo for uh, calling in this evening. And it's been really interesting to talk to you. Um, and I hope that you've enjoyed your experience of being on the radio. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Take care. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened in this evening and to Barry for, for um, sharing his ideas and wisdom with us this evening about physics and uh, technology and education. Um, I'm going to uh, leave you now with our outro. Thank you so much. Remember that this show is here um, every other Tuesday evening, the Late Late Show. Uh, many thanks to Barry again for, for speaking to us this evening. There are all kinds of shows on all kinds of topics all across the week every single day on teach talk radio so please tune in come back another time and uh, tune in and talk it out with teacher talk radio thanks for listening bye bye you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.